Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. So I wasn't going to weigh in originally. <laughs> and normally when I have the instinct just to watch something, it's normally a good thing. But I have to weigh in on this conflict that has Gail King and Oprah and Snoop and Kobe Bryant and now so many others, really millions of us, at the middle of a very tense Deep, sharp, harsh, I guess I'll say conversation, but there's not a lot of dialogue going on here. People are emotional. People are hurt. Now some people are afraid. I want to jump in. I want to unpack and explain what's happened to some of you who don't know. I'll give you my perspective. Let's get involved. Let's jump in head first. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. For most of my adult life, people actually call me, and many of you who are listening now are probably going to be surprised, but people call me Pastor Sean. I was not a figurative pastor, was not a nickname. I was a Christian pastor from the age of 18 years old until my into my 30s and that's what people knew me as that's what people called me and I was uh, a pastor I was a senior pastor of a church in Atlanta for many years a church that I started I was on the staff of several churches as well and uh, I was a, a licensed ordained pastor and planned on being that really for the rest of my life and I have walked many people through the process of grief, and I've talked about it a little bit here on The Breakdown, but I I learned a lot seeing grieving people and seeing them. I, I did an internship at Emory Hospital and, and worked directly with people who were experiencing grief in the moment, grief of a diagnosis they had just received, grief of a death that they had just experienced, And I walked many families through the grief process, through gun violence, through through disease and sickness and walked families through the process of a funeral and a burial and all of that. And and I learned I learned a real lesson that I have tried to take with me in my own personal life. And it's that grieving people, they're hurting and grieving people. Their nerves are frayed and raw. They they are liable to say hurtful things, even harmful things, as they process the loss and the pain and the shock of losing someone they care about. You know, 
we live every day as if we're not going to die someday. And we push the reality that for all of us, that death is impending, that it, it, will, it will eventually visit each and every one of us. And in, in experiencing so many families, even over the past few years, I've now walked countless families through the grief of losing their loved ones to police violence and bigotry. Those men and women and families are in a highly, highly sensitive place. And I've never had a family act out against me, but I have walked so many families through grief that I have seen families over and over and over again, not even fully understanding what was wrong with them, not understanding the depths of their own pain. I have seen them say and do things that I know they would never say or do if they weren't grieving. And I had to start there because I think in a lot of ways, that's what's happening with the sudden and brutal and tragic death of Kobe Bryant, of his daughter Gigi, and of seven other men and women and children who were suddenly killed in a helicopter crash last month outside of Los Angeles. It really shocked the world. It shocked the sports world in a profound way. And it shocked everyday people who were fans of Kobe Bryant, who loved the Lakers, who loved him, who rooted for him, who rooted against him. And I had never seen the type of public grief, particularly from black men. I'm going to linger there for a minute. The public grief that I saw from black men, particularly black men who played with Kobe, against Kobe, who were his teammates, who were his coaches, the level of public grief. uh, I saw men deeply emotional black men processing the pain in public crying even saying that they had not cried in years until this moment and kobe's kobe's death and that of his daughter gigi hit a lot of us personally it hit it hit us from the perspective of a parent of saying like oh my god it's one thing for me to die it's another thing for my for my daughter to die with me in that moment. It's it's just painful. We think of his wife and, and, and Gigi's mother, Vanessa, and just saying like, my God, he was Kobe and Gigi were home that morning and never came home again. And that is, it's an unspeakable shock. Uh, as a, as a father, not just of four daughters, but of of five kids, the thought that one day I would see one of my babies and then I would never see them whole and alive again. It's almost too much to process. And I saw players and teammates and coaches like Shaq or, or Doc Rivers, who's the coach of the Clippers, just unable to control his emotions in the moment. And, you know, I, I, talked and texted and DM'd with several players in the NBA on the day and the day after Kobe died. And they told me like, Sean, I can't even play. Like 
many of us don't even want to go out to the court. Like, it just hit them like that. And I also don't think that people fully understand the pain in Los Angeles. My my family and I lived in California, lived in Southern California, right outside of L.A. for many years. And Kobe Bryant, I would say, was one of the two or three most beloved figures in the entire city. He moved to L.A. when he was just 17 years old and was uh, was drafted and and was a rookie for the Lakers and never left. He played for 20 seasons for Los Angeles, winning uh, five championships for the team. And I, I, can only, I can only try to do it justice with my words, but you'd have to understand, I think you almost have to be there in Los Angeles to understand how much the city loves the Lakers. But it's it is the city's team. It's it is their primary. Los Angeles has all types of sports. Everybody soon learns that the Lakers are L.A.'s team of all sports, football, basketball, baseball, L.A. People live and breathe and and bleed purple and gold. And it's. It's a personal connection to the team. I, I, when I lived in Los Angeles, I had many of, of our friends who were immigrants to the United States. And the Lakers became a way for them to connect and bond with other people. They, they loved, and to this day, like love, capital letters, bold print, love the Lakers. And love Kobe Bryant and Kobe having never left played for 20 straight years, sometimes a hundred, you know, there are 82 games in a regular season, but they were going deep into the playoffs, winning championships, a hundred games a year, five championships, but over a dozen long playoff runs, parades. And I mean, all of that, the city loved this man. All of his children were born in Southern California. He came of age in Southern California. He retired in Southern California. Like this man, his 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 jerseys were retired into the raft into the rafters of of the Staples Center, one of the most famous arenas in the country. And everyday people who didn't even know this man personally felt deeply connected to him. He he was superhuman in some ways. And so the city was rocked to its core. And that was less than a year after the tragic, horrible shooting death of Nipsey Hussle, a Los Angeles rapper who also lived and breathed and exuded all things LA. I I don't know that any rapper in, in modern history represented his city, his hood, his block, his neighborhood, his people more than Nipsey and to have in less than a year Nipsey, a guy that was full of life and promise and was truly only beginning to scratch the surface of his potential as a leader and an entrepreneur to have him, a guy who had escaped gun violence, brutally shot and killed right in front of his own store. I don't know that the city has, I don't even know that there's a way to get over murder, to get over the sudden loss. We say 
I was going to say, I don't know that this city has gotten over it, but I think you get, you get through it. I don't know that you ever get over it. And so the city was still processing that. And then this loss of Kobe just hit people hard. And I want to say in defense of several people who have now spoken out publicly in a way that I don't think is their best. We may have been fans of Kobe Bryant, but many of the people that I'm about to talk about, they knew him personally. Many of them knew him for 25 years. I mean, they were, I mean, think of a friend you have for 25 years. Um, many of them, you know, had been to his home, had, had done work with him, had, 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 had had meals and personal time and shared hopes and dreams. Many people had grown up with this man. And so their heart and soul is into this. And I just want to, I want to say that because in a moment, I want to talk about some of what Snoop has said and done, some of what Gail King, who is who was first known as the best friend of Oprah Winfrey, but she's more than that. She's uh, an anchor on CBS on their morning show, but has been in journalism for most of her life. Uh, I, I want to lay it all on the table and explain what I think is happening. I'm not here to speak away the the pain and what I think is wrong with what several people have said, but I just want to give it context, all right? We have a brand new sponsor of The Breakdown. I want to give you a few words about them, and then I'll be right back after the break. I could not imagine a better sponsor of today's episode of The Breakdown than our friends at BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com. It is a beautiful, diverse, eclectic community of thousands of licensed professional therapists. And when you go to betterhelp.com, you can take a survey that I have taken and it will help you assess all of the mental health needs and challenges that you actually have. I was going to say that you may have, but here's what I know. If you are a human being on planet Earth, you need help. You need help thinking through and processing all that you've experienced in life. I've said it before. I think many of us have a real-life case of PTSD of all that we have experienced. Some of you may actually be diagnosed with PTSD. And uh, I just want you to take the step that maybe you'll never take offline. I want you to take this step online. I want you to go to betterhelp.com slash breakdown. That's betterhelp.com slash breakdown. And join over 700,000 people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional therapist. Listen, we have a special offer right now. I want you to take advantage of it for listeners of The Breakdown to get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash breakdown. The, the, the Breakdown. So last week, Gail King on CBS 
did an interview with my friend, someone that I know personally and admire and revere, uh, WNBA legend, basketball legend, Lisa Leslie. Uh, If you don't know who Lisa is, when I think of the WNBA, like, I see her as the Michael Jordan of the WNBA. Like, when I think of the WNBA, historically, she's who comes to mind. And uh, she is a longtime personal friend of Kobe, of Vanessa. She knew Gigi personally, had met Gigi. She knew the family, knew all of the girls. And I literally messaged with Lisa on the day we learned that Kobe had died and Gigi had died. And we were hoping uh, together that none of the girls were on that helicopter. And she and I had both been told that Gigi was on the helicopter and were devastated. And I can't think of anybody better to have talk about who you are and your legacy than Lisa Leslie, who I think has impeccable integrity. Like her name is... Like, it has no blemishes. Like, Lisa Leslie, like, what a friend to have. Not just because she was a a legend in the WNBA, but, I mean, Lisa Leslie is is kind of seen as the height of integrity, decency, and character, and she always has been. And so she was glad and proud to go on CBS this morning, and she did a long interview with Gail King. And they may have talked for nearly an hour, but as interviews all go, and I've done national television interviews, as they go, the interview that you do will always get split into clips to promote the show, uh, clips that go on advertisements, clips that get shared on social media. And because most of us aren't home watching CBS This Morning, but we see little clips like that online, very few of us, I did not see the interview live. It, all interviews are edited. Even when it was played on CBS this morning, you know, Gail says, hey, we spoke for a very long time. That's fine. But even on CBS this morning, it was boiled down to a couple of minutes. And one of the clips that they that CBS this morning shared, now I just want to be clear, it wasn't that somebody else shared it, was a short um, two-minute segment where Gail is interviewing Lisa Leslie and begins to ask about the sexual assault allegations against Kobe. Let me play that clip, and this is the exact clip. It has now been viewed, shared, and heard nearly 10 million times across Twitter. But I want you to hear this clip because this is the one that set a lot of people off. Here we go. It's been said that his legacy is complicated, because of a sexual assault charge, which was dismissed in 2003, 2004. Is it complicated for you as a woman, as a WNBA player? It's not complicated for me at all. Even if there's a few times that we've been at a club at the same time, Kobe's not the kind of guy, never been like, you know, Lisa, go get that girl or tell her or send her this. Mm-hmm. I have other NBA friends that are like that. Mm-hmm. Kobe's, he, he was never like that. I just never see have ever seen him being the kind of person that would be do something to violate a woman or be aggressive in that way. I, that's just not the person that I know. But Lisa, you wouldn't see it, though. As his friend, you wouldn't see it. And that's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I just, 
It's just, I just don't, I just don't believe that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying things didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe that things didn't happen with force. Is it even a fair question to talk about it, considering he's no longer with us and that it was resolved? Or is it really part of his history? I think that the media should be more respectful um, at this time, it, it's like if you had questions about it, you've had many years to ask him that. I don't think it's something that we should keep hanging over his legacy. I mean, he went to, it went to trial. Yeah, but the case, is, it was dismissed because the victim in the case refused to testify. So it was dismissed. And I think that that's how we should leave it. When I heard and saw that clip of... Uh, of Gail pressing Lisa Leslie on Kobe's legacy and this allegation of sexual assault, I was bothered by it. Uh, I I don't I'm just gonna lay it all out there. When I saw, it, I was like, why Why is she pressing her on this? Again, this is a close friend of Kobe Bryant who is grieving, and Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi have not have not been buried. Uh, They have not had their memorial. Like, this is a fresh, raw wound. Why, when you... This is what I was thinking when I first saw it. Why, knowing that Lisa Leslie is a hurting friend, why are you pressing her on this? And that, that not only came to mind, I also felt like Lisa Leslie was masterful in her responses. And again, you have to remember, this is a woman who's been in the limelight every day of her life since she graduated high school and knows how to handle herself in an interview, has has done thousands of interviews and has even has been the interviewer and the interviewee now for a generation. And so Lisa was masterful in her response. And many of us felt like she didn't take the bait, if you will, like, she didn't use that as an opportunity to to throw Kobe Bryant under the bus. And she so she refused to to respond to what Gail was saying in a way that did harm to Kobe, to Vanessa, to Kobe's children. And when I saw it, I was frustrated. And before you say, well, hey, why are you frustrated? That's not right for you to be frustrated. I want to play a clip for you of Gail King just about 48 hours after the clip was shared. Okay, let me play that clip. I've been up reading the comments about the interview I did with Lisa Leslie about Kobe Bryant. And I know that if I had only seen the clip that you saw, I'd be extremely angry with me too. I am mortified, I'm embarrassed, and I am very angry. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, my network put up a clip from a very wide-ranging interview, um, totally taken out of context, and when you see it that way, it's very jarring. It's jarring to me. I didn't even know anything about it. I started getting calls. What the hell are you doing? Why did you say this? What is happening? I did not know what people are talking about. So I've been told, or I've been advised, to say nothing. Just let it go. People will drag you. People will troll you. It'll be over in a couple of days. But that's not good enough for me because I really want people to understand 
what happened here and, and how I'm feeling about it. I reached out to Lisa because I know that she's a longtime friend of Kobe's to talk about his legacy and their friendship. We had a really wide-ranging interview, talked about many things, his career, his passion, his sense of humor, the way he was mentoring other people, how he was starting his next chapter. It was wide-ranging. And yes, we talked about that court case because that court case has also come up. And I wanted to get Lisa's take on it as a friend who knew him well, what she thought, where that should stand. And I thought she... It was very powerful when she looked me in the eye as a member of the media to say it's time for the media to leave it alone and to back off. During the course of the interview, I asked follow-up questions because I wanted to make sure that her position and perspective were very clear. As you see, and I, I just needed to start there and, and put those clips together, Gail King says unequivocally that she understands why people were appalled and incensed over the clip. Now, she was simultaneously acknowledging that that segment of the interview incensed people, but she also hedged to say it should not have been chopped up in the way that it was. But here's the thing. It wasn't chopped up in any insincere way. Gail asked those questions. Gail pressed Lisa Leslie on it. And some people say, well, Sean, that's the job of a journalist. Yes and no. Again, when a man and his daughter and seven others just suddenly were killed in a horrible uh, uh, helicopter crash and you are spending time with a grieving friend, I don't know that it was at all appropriate to even ask those questions in that moment. Neither here nor there, Gail seems to acknowledge that, hey, I know if I saw what you all saw, I get it. Like, Gail acknowledged it, that it was disturbing. And people replied publicly and 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 in, in videos... In comments, people replied to Gail in a way that I have never in my life seen people talk to Gail, talk about Gail. Before I ever saw a video from Snoop, and I'm going to play it in a minute, and just to be clear, it's not suitable for children, so that's an opportunity for you to, to turn the volume down. But before Snoop did his video... I saw a lot of people saying what Snoop said and not just black men, because a lot of people have taken this as an opportunity to then critique the way black men speak to and about black women. I saw and continue to see, I've studied it over the past week, black women, everything that Snoop said, eventually I, I saw and continue to see black women speaking super, super harshly about Gail and about Oprah. And I I was surprised because Oprah is a revered figure in our communities. And 
most people dare not critique her in any kind of way. Even when she says something that they disagree with, people have found it to be costly for their careers to even critique Oprah Winfrey. And many people have said publicly that when you find yourself on Oprah's bad side, you may never find yourself on television again. Like, you become persona non grata because she is just a person. Not that she's vindictive. I I don't know her that way. But that Oprah is a person that you just don't cross. And when you do, there could be professional consequences. She's just that revered, not just in the culture, but even in the professional space. And so people were infuriated by the clip. Gail says that she understands And people began then saying, but hold on, hold on, hold on. You were good friends with Harvey Weinstein, Gail, and Oprah. You all were good friends with multiple people who've been accused and actually even convicted of sexual assault. And people began showing pictures and videos of Oprah with this uh, spiritual guru that she had on own on several occasions that she went to go visit who was convicted of sexual assault and imprisoned for it. And people were saying, like, hold on. I never really saw you address that in the way that you are now addressing Kobe Bryant. I don't understand. You were, you were close buddies with Harvey Weinstein. I don't, I don't see you talking about Harvey Weinstein or confronting Harvey Weinstein or his friends in the way that you're now confronting close friends of Kobe Bryant. And then all of that led up to Snoop, who I've already said was a close personal friend of Kobe Bryant, spent time with him over the past few years, but has known him personally since he was a teenager and since Snoop was almost a boy himself. And he went online and posted the video that I'm about to play for you. It's it's crass. It's profane. It's problematic, and that's just the truth. I'm going to unpack and explain it, but let me play it for you first. Gail King, out of pocket for that shit. Way out of pocket. What do you gain from that? I swear to God, we the worst. We the fucking worst. We expect more from you, Gail. Don't you hang out with Oprah? Why are y'all attacking us? We your people. You ain't coming after fucking Harvey Weinstein asking them dumbass questions. I get sick of y'all. I want to call you one. Is it okay if I call her one? Funky dog head bitch. How dare you try to tarnish my motherfucking homeboy's reputation, punk motherfucker. Respect the family and back off, bitch, before we come get you. That was harsh. Just period. It was... It was awful, actually. Um, Of course, it was profane. And what I see in that video is a man who is not just hurt, but angry. Again, remember, Gail said, "I, I I would understand if anybody saw this clip. I would understand if they were incensed and angry and infuriated. Uh, That's definitely what Snoop Dogg was. Snoop was clearly hurt and infuriated. And what I have learned is that 
it's a hell of a time to record a video for the internet when you are hurt, infuriated, offended, and and are grieving and angry. It's a bad time to get on the internet. It's a bad time to make a public statement. And Snoop, I found in a way, his statement was both the video that he made was a raw representation of how he felt in the moment. But I I, want to say it's not always appropriate to record and publicly share a video for millions, tens of millions of people in your worst moment of pain and anger and despair. And it's hard to think clearly when you are incensed. And I think a lot of people said, I've never seen Snoop like that. Other people said, well, hey, listen, Snoop has always talked horribly about women in his music. That's a real critique. That's not what that's not quite what I think is going on in that clip. I think it's a man who has lost some level of control of his emotions in that moment. And people said, no, 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 he was keeping it real. Okay, I I think that's yeah, I think he was keeping it real for how he felt in the moment. And I think it was still deeply problematic. Um, I think there is a way and there must be a way to publicly critique what Gail said and did. She critiqued it herself. I think there's a, a public way to do that. Even if you are unimpressed with her response. And I was, I wouldn't say that I was impressed. I thought it was helpful that she acknowledged that anyone who saw that she got why they could be so angry. And Oprah also did an interview where she also said, no, I get why people are this angry over the clip. So even Oprah acknowledged that the clip was problematic And I think we can agree to disagree. I don't think the clip was edited poorly. It was a real part of the conversation. They didn't put words in her mouth. It wasn't that the clip was edited poorly. It's what was in the clip. The clip was problematic because part of that conversation was problematic. And it was problematic because of who it was with. It was problematic that Gail pushed in the way she did in in the moment of, of grief. It's it's disturbing to push a grieving person in that way. It's disturbing to talk about Kobe Bryant in that way because he was never really treated that way, even on CBS. And I saw clips of the way CBS treated Kobe Bryant when he was alive, when he just won the Oscar last year uh, for Best Animated Short. They didn't bring this up. And... So how the interview went down was problematic, but what Snoop said in response, not only was it offensive and ugly, and I'm talking particularly about the words he used to describe Gail, like, um, I would never use those words. I I generally don't think they they should be used to describe another human being. Uh, can we have space for Gail to have made a big mistake? 
Um, I don't know that she ever said it was a mistake, but like, I mean, she acknowledged that how it came out was wrong. And I think that was a first step. But then Snoop went somewhere that I think is is wrong, period. At the very end of the clip, Snoop suggested violence, like, you know, we might need to come get you. What do you mean by that? And I was literally at the barbershop yesterday and getting my hair cut and all the brothers in the shop were talking about it. And me and my barber were just privately low talking to each other. And um, my my barber is like a, a reformed gangster <laughs> and like no legit serve time in prison. And, you know, and he said, Sean, he said, you know, to him, he's like, listen, anybody who talks publicly about a woman like this, not the curse words and stuff, that's a whole, that's a different critique. Anybody who says we might come get you threatening some level of violence to a woman publicly is like, listen, that's whack. And I mean, that's what he says. Like, Sean, that's that's a sucker move. And um, and he, that's what he said. And he said, and Sean, anybody who says that on the Internet is really talking like it's just talk. But it's offensive and it's and it's scared Gail. And to address a problem. Snoop, I think, then created a new problem. And, you know, Oprah then went on CBS, and this is her best friend. It was, actually, she went on NBC uh, this past week speaking about it, and uh, she was crying because Gail is her best friend in the world. They are, they are like close sisters. And said that, you know, Gail has had to have bodyguards and, and had not slept in several days and was afraid for her safety. And I'm thinking, listen, I don't care what you say. That's not okay. I think there are, I think there are legitimate critiques of Gail, of Oprah, of the interview. I think there are legitimate, earnest critiques that can be made. But at the moment in which you have made another woman feel unsafe about her life, you've crossed over. Period. You've crossed over. And I I have a problem with it. And and I think at the root of it is again, when you put a microphone and 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 technology is so widely available and accessible, when you put a microphone in front of somebody's face, in a moment of grief, anger, pain, despair, and frustration, they're liable to say some crazy stuff. And Snoop has done nothing but double and triple down over the past few days. You know, he's been posting photos and images of of Gail with Harvey Weinstein, of Oprah with Harvey Weinstein, and, you know, of Gail and Oprah, you know, promoting other people, primarily white men, who have also been accused of uh, sexual assault by multiple people and, and continue to promote this narrative. Snoop and many others continue to promote this narrative saying, I just want to know why you took it so easy on some men, but went so hard on others and why it seems that the men you go hard on typically tend to be black men. 
And I see that as a thread across social media and the internet of people saying, yeah, it seemed like you just don't treat Harvey the way you treat Kobe. And in fact, the two shouldn't even be put in the same conversation. And, uh, and yet you put them on the same playing field or you even throw Kobe under the bus in a worse way. Like, I think you can talk about all of that and explore that moment, explore that conversation without threatening violence, suggesting or hinting at violence. There's even a way to express your anger in a way that shows it without being so demeaning and offensive. But I've learned, listen, have, have you ever been in an argument before? Have you ever said something harsh that you could not take back? Once you say it, it's said. And you can say, hell, Sean, it represented how I felt in the moment. Many times we say things in the moment that represent how we feel when we are boiling hot. That literally five minutes later, you realize maybe I should not have said it. When somebody hurts us, uh, my philosophy is not we should wound them back no matter what. And um, I hate to see it. I'm, I'm bothered by the interview. I'm bothered by the clip. But I hate to see people get to the point of being cruel and harmful and hurtful in response, and we need to check ourselves. I'm not saying that what Snoop said is worse than this, that, or the other, but it was problematic, just period. And if you're not willing to own it, um, then I, ha- I, have, I have beef with that. Like, we have to be able to work through our problems without going there. I was going to play several other clips for you of things that other people said, but I just, I think we can end there. You know, how that went down, how it continues to go down, it just reveals a lot of really deep issues and problems and trauma that people are experiencing that they have not fully processed. Listen, I've got to run. This week on Friday, we are launching a brand new website for the North Star at thenorthstar.com, and I cannot wait for you to see it. We've been working for months building and developing it, and uh, I'm so excited uh, to, sh- to show you all what we have built, what we're building. We have two brand new podcasts that we're going to show to you as well, and I uh, just can't wait to share more about it with you. Of course, thank you so much to our senior producer of this podcast, my friend, my brother Willis. Thank you to our podcasting director, Lissandra, for their hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody. Break it down.